tuned in to Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. Welcome to the Village Vision Podcast, where community, collaboration, and care converge. I'm Dr. Crystal Morrison, and I'm honored to be your host on this incredible journey. As a firm believer in the power of a united village, I'm thrilled to bring you inspiring stories, research, and projects that break down barriers in child and family care. Through heartfelt conversations with experts, advocates, and those with lived experiences, we'll showcase the transformative impact of collective support. So join me on the Village Vision podcast as we explore the remarkable collaborations that lead to better outcomes, foster a sense of community, and inspire action to improve care for ourselves and everyone around us. On today's episode, I'm here with my friend, Dr. Tiffany Gary-Webb. Now, I'm really excited about talking with Dr. Gary Webb today because typically we're talking about our kids and showing them back and forth, and we're not talking about our professional work, so it's very exciting. Dr. Tiffany Gary Webb is the Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion and a tenured professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Public Health. She's an accomplished researcher, having co-authored or authored over 140 scientific publications, including journal articles, book chapters, and editorials. Her current research agenda is the culmination of over 20 years of experience working to understand the social and environmental determinants of chronic diseases and implementing interventions to improve prevention and control. Welcome, Dr. Gary Webb. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You know, so when it comes to your work, there are so many different angles that we could discuss because, quite frankly, all of your work is at the intersection of community, collaboration, and care, and that's the focus of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But today we're going to discuss your work specifically with the Black Equity Coalition, And before we start talking about that, I would really love for you to share a little bit more about the why behind your work. But can you share some about your personal story and and why this work that you're doing is so important? Yes, absolutely. So you talked a little bit about my bio and the research that I've been doing. So it's not new to me to to do research that impacts disproportionate populations who are disproportionately affected by, mostly I look at chronic diseases, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. And so I've been over the years connecting with community, collecting data in communities, and really doing applied research, making sure that the research that we do at the university gets out there. So that's been kind of the theme of my whole career. But the work with the Black Equity Coalition has just taken that to another level. Because of the urgency and the, you know, the devastating consequences of COVID-19, particularly for Black populations, which we do focus on, everything that we did had much more impact. We had, you know, more collaboration, more multidisciplinary collaboration. And I say, we, we say that we have a data to action approach which means that the things that we were doing were having really real-time impact in the community. And so that's why it was really different because it wasn't, oh, I published something and then somebody does a, you know, picks it up and, you know, or gets in a systematic review. It was really like, we're having a meeting, we're talking about these things, we're getting it to the health department 
and then we're acting on it or other people are, are acting on it in the community. Right, right. And so, you know, having been in academia myself, you know, we're always, always very hopeful that our work has the impact that we want it to. And you were literally sitting at that intersection again, where your work was directly impacting the community and the work of a lot of others, because what was so important is that you were bringing a lot of people together. Absolutely. Um, Now, did the Black Equity Coalition exist before COVID? No, it did not. And so there were pockets of groups that, that did exist. And we do have a publication (laughs) that talks a little bit about kind of our origin. Groups around Pittsburgh existed and and certain pivotal things happened. So, for example, 2019, the Gender Equity Report came out and talked about poor health outcomes, particularly for Black women. So there was mobilization around that. There was the creation of Equitable and Just Greater Pittsburgh. So there were, were groups that were working on these issues. But when COVID hit, we were seeing... Uh, news and media reports from around the country that were really showing that Black populations were hit harder. Right. Uh, so, you know, particularly, I remember um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. New York, other cities were really talking about this disproportionate. Really, at that point, it was cases and deaths because it was all very serious at the time. Yeah. And so we started to wonder about Pittsburgh and our region. Mm-hmm. And so organically, Several different things happened that ended up forming the coalition. One thing I'll say is that a colleague of mine, Jamil Bay, who's the CEO of um, Urban Kind Institute, he mm-hmm. had put out these series of videos saying, listen, we're getting reports that Black people are being hit harder by this. Can you, you know, giving some tips, thinking about, you know, what we needed to do. And then he and One Hood Media decided mm-hmm. to put together this what Black Pittsburgh needs to know about COVID-19. And so I was their inaugural guest, and we started to, you know, talk about how we didn't have data for our populations, you know, talking about some of the, you know, ways to prevent and, and you know, mitigate risk and so forth. So that series ended up really taking off, and we had other colleagues who came and talked about testing in our communities and, and so forth. And so that became a really good informal way for people to get information. The second thing that happened is a Black elected officials, prior to Mayor Ganey becoming Mm -hmm. mayor, there was a Pittsburgh Black elected officials coalition. Yeah. And they were advocating to the health plans to bring testing into Black communities because I don't know if you remember at the time, there were really the two big health systems had concentrated testing areas only in a couple of areas. Right. And so... It became a situation where if someone didn't have transportation, how were they going to get to a testing area? Um, And we would not want someone who, you know, potentially had COVID to get on public transportation and so forth. So they were advocating, but they went and did that without any medical professionals. Uh, And so they came to a group of us and said, look, would you go to these meetings with us? And so we had meetings with senior leaders uh in these health plans to talk about expanding testing. And it didn't go well at first. Mm -hmm. And so then the third thing that happened is we had some foundation leaders who said, we want to bring together people we funded for data-related things to get really get the data. So all these things are happening. And then there were some of us that were in multiple spaces, Uh and we ended up forming this coalition. And so where we became very strong was in our data working group. We're now called the Data Justice Working Group. Mm -hmm. Because we were not only just 
pushing the health department and the PA state health department to really release this data. But we were also helping them figure out some of the the kinks because one of the reasons why they didn't want to release it is because there was a lot of missing data. There were a lot of gaps, like just for example, if you go in for testing, the screening, which asked you about race, Mm -hmm. sometimes that wasn't even happening. So there there was not even a way to, to know Mm-hmm. you know, it, who was getting tested and so forth. So we really helped to to really get some of those kinks together. We worked with the PA State Health Department at the time. It was um, Dr. Levine, who's now uh-huh. in the federal government. Right. We worked with her to really identify some of the labs around the Commonwealth that were not reporting appropriately. So, you know, and after we had some of those conversations, there would be advisories put out to all of the, the contractors. So, when I said, oh, we had some of these problem-solving meetings and so forth, and then there was direct action, I had never in my career seen it happen that quickly. Yeah, that that's fascinating. And the fact that, you know, you could bring together elected officials, community leaders, you could bring together academia and researchers, yeah. as well as representatives from the hospital system and insurance and state government. I mean, that's an act in and of itself. And and like I said, that was organic. It wasn't any one person. It was different sectors Mm -hmm. that were dealing with the problem from different angles. Yeah. And some of us did cross those different sectors because, you know, me personally, I'm used to working with people in the medical profession, in the Mm -hmm. health profession. And so when the elected officials needed help, there was an intermediary of someone who said, oh, look, I know a couple of people that yeah. I, that we can bring to the table. And so that's how it happened. And in addition to the elected official piece, but the philanthropy part of it, which I had not been really in that world either, they have a large stake in a lot of the things that happen in the region. Sure. And so they can pull people together. They also have, you know, ways of, of putting resources into to, to certain issues. So mm-hmm. all of those things for me were new, you know, kind of new territory. Wow. You know, we're we're now three and a half years post COVID. It's crazy to think about at some point. Mm-hmm. I and still have to get my vaccine updated yeah. vaccine. So we're you not me, out of it yet. That's right. You you and I both. Here's the thing though is COVID blew up and exposed inequities that have existed for generations, right? And and COVID really put that front and center. I think it's good to really, I'd really like for you to share a little bit more about the specifics of what those inequities looked like for Black people, not only here in Pittsburgh, but across the country. Again, we can't forget that this was not a unique scenario to Pittsburgh, but you know, early on in COVID, you mentioned testing, right? But the the disparities exist, you know, throughout. But what are some specific things that people were experiencing at the time that our listeners need to recognize and understand are an example of, of disparity in the health system? Yeah, so, I mean, so that's a great question. So I have this figure that someone on Twitter put out, and it's a big tree, and it's talking about systemic racism as the root. Mm-hmm. And then all of these things that are out. So, you know, I'll just give you a few concrete examples. So I study the disproportionate rates of diabetes and cardiovascular disease in Black populations. So Mm. we've known about those disparities for a long time. They're longstanding. And I've been trying to understand the reasons for those. 
but it became directly relevant when we talked about COVID because yep. people with chronic diseases had worse outcomes right. as far as hospitalizations and deaths from COVID. Mm-hmm. And so if Black populations are going in with more of these chronic diseases, then that makes COVID outcomes disproportionate as well. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it more from a social standpoint, yeah. if you're thinking about who were the essential workers when, when you know, many of us had the privilege to stay home, order groceries, right, and that type of thing, who were the people doing the delivering in the grocery stores, you know, mm-hmm. doing all that, it were is disproportionately poor and underrepresented people who were doing that. So they were more exposed to, to COVID. And mm-hmm. then you take that with the lack of access to healthcare, which already existed, right? translated into lack of access, access to testing, treatment, hospitalization, and so forth. And so that's why from the beginning, we really saw disproportionate deaths in the Black population. And so over time, when, you know, and, and we like to attribute a lot of it to our work, you know, just talking about for our region, sure. um, but we did see um, uh, changes in testing rates mm-hmm. over time. Um, hospitalizations continued even into to last year. Now we have a data problem where a lot of things have stopped being measured. Yeah. But hospitalizations continue to be disproportionate for Black populations and deaths as well up until until the, the, we stopped seeing a lot of the, the data being mm-hmm. reported. But mm-hmm. so what we did was we were able to influence some of those care factors. Mm-hmm. And the other reason why it was really different is because not only were people listening, right? When we were talking about disparities, people yeah. were listening. And not that they were acting a lot on their own accord. We were pushing people and holding people accountable. But what also was different is the federal government stepping in and giving free testing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Giving when the vaccinations came free vaccinations, which has now stopped now that there's a um, emergency that the emergency declaration is over right. as of May of this year, you know, the free services stop. So that was right. different for us because mm-hmm. no longer did it have to be only if you had insurance, sure. you could go and get these, these services. So it showed us that if we really want to do things, we can actually do them. <laughs> right. We and we can we can, you know, because we, we were able to round out that testing. The hospitalizations were still disproportionate, but deaths were they, they really did close. You mm-hmm. know, I, I don't know that they they were absolutely equal at the end, but they were, you know, they they, mm-hmm. they evened out. So Well and I remember very clearly one of the the challenges when the vaccines first came out and vaccines were free and being made available was making sure that free vaccines were available across the city, number one, but number two, thinking really long and hard about vaccine hesitancy in the Black population because of a very long history of issues with the healthcare system. You know, one of the things that I found really interesting and exciting about that time was there were people who were going into the communities that could really speak to that hesitancy. You know, it it took a little while, but there was recognition among certain groups of people that you just can't 
you know, have a free vaccine and a free vaccine center, you need yeah. to be talking to people and understanding the reasons behind their hesitancy, which is very real and valid. Yeah. I, I'm assuming that your the coalition was part of some of that education and work as well. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I have to say that work is still happening. Yeah. But I'll say a couple of things. I mean, because what you're talking about is is equity at the core. There were a couple different perspectives. So mm-hmm. you know, we had the federal government give it out free, so that was one issue. The equity issue we had in the beginning of the distribution was that it was all age related. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about black populations, you are seeing these disproportionate chronic diseases at earlier ages. So if you were really thinking about equity, you would have not only the people who are 75 and 85 as yeah. the first target, you would have, okay, black residents 65 and older, you know, or 55, 55. And older because you're seeing all of these and and we that was something that we could not get the health department to really understand because they kept saying, no, we just want to prioritize older populations. And we kept saying, but we live in Pennsylvania where all of the older populations are white. The black people aren't making it that long, right? So that was one of the first equity issues we dealt with. Then talking about the hesitancy. So we have a couple of different ways. We have a community coordinator So as part of the CDC-funded project that I have already, CDC said, okay, you have an infrastructure to work on nutrition and physical activity. Mm -hmm. We want to give you some extra money to work on flu and COVID. So remember, Mm -hmm. in the beginning, we were worried about flu and COVID circulating at the same time. So we did a lot of outreach to communities, a lot of vaccine clinics. We did a lot of focus groups to try to understand what people needed so that Mm -hmm. we could modify our clinics. And the other thing we did is a big vaccine hesitancy survey um, in Black communities. So that was just published in the last month or so, and there's been some media articles out on that because we were able to, you know, understand that what what we thought, you know, that people do have distrust issues with mm-hmm. the, the medical system, and rightfully so, because mm-hmm. a lot of really horrible things have, have been done, and just the whole idea of the communication behind the vaccine, the newness yeah. of it, the side effects, and so forth. So over the years, we've really made a lot of progress mm-hmm. in just having conversations. You know, our community coordinator will sit in coffee shops, and, you know, when she was putting out the, the, the survey and asking people, she was having conversations. Mm-hmm. And then people would say, oh, okay, well, let me, let me, I want to understand more about that. So it takes that much intensity yeah, to really get people comfortable enough to want to do it. And then we had uh, just other things like incentives, you know, yeah. cash incentives and, and different things to, 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 to get people to do it. Because, you know, it's the whole idea of we want to save people's lives. And at that point in time, especially in the beginning of the vaccine rollout, it was critical that we Absolutely. hit as many people as possible because, you know, it was it was just that dire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up that example of age mm-hmm. and then at race for that initial vaccine rollout. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I had never thought about it like that. Right. Yeah. And it's it's so basic and it makes so much sense. Yeah. But that that sheer example of, okay, vaccine rollout, 65 and above or 75 and above, well, 
Mm-hmm. Those who are health compromised and they could be 55 above, 45 above. And there's an absolutely a race component. So I'm really glad that you, you brought that up as an example. Right. And it, but there was really not a lot of openness to, to see things that, that way because, because again, it was by race. Yeah. And so that whole idea of doing something different for a population because that population needs it. We could not get that yeah. point across. So we ended up doing a report called Missing Our Shot. And that uh-huh. highlighted a lot of, you know, different inequities and a uh-huh. lot of data points that so we've done everything. We've done media, we've done surveys, <laughs> meetings. Oh, we also did a series of educational videos with WQED. Yeah, yeah. It's called A Matter of Trust. And those would bring up some of the scenarios. So you talked about the hesitancy. We would have different scenarios that have come up in our work. One Mm -hmm. was a granddaughter talking to her grandmother. And her grandmother was saying, you know, do it for me because you're around me every day. Yeah. Right? Trying to get the concept of why young people who don't feel they need to be vaccinated. There was at one point where... It was like we were going to do funeral directors. Like, you know, the funeral directors were like, we have so many people that we can't even keep up with this. You know, so bringing out the message. We had churches. We had, you know, just all kinds of perspectives based on scenarios that had come up. Well, we are going to wrap up today. I've so enjoyed this conversation. What's the work that the Black Equity Coalition is continuing to do today? And how can our listeners find out more information about the Black Equity Coalition? We have not gone anywhere. We're still going strong. But what we've done is we've tried to pivot from just doing COVID. We still Mm -hmm. do COVID work to really looking at the social determinants of health. Yeah. So the initiatives that we have been looking at are neighborhood change and gentrification. Mm-hmm. We're doing still our vaccination clinics. And we just got a new grant to look at long COVID. So we know now That's people, right. particularly in the beginning, before vaccination, had very serious bouts of COVID and are still suffering from symptoms. And so we have specialists that work at uh, Pitt and UPMC to do that, but those clinics aren't always accessible. So helping to bring more patients to those clinics and also a model where we get it out there more into community clinics and get those docs trained to Mm -hmm. deal with some of those symptoms. So we have been, you know, working hard. And, you know, one of the things we want to do is at some point try to expand, you know, the people who are interested in this work and and willing to do this work. You know, we are now trying to build our infrastructure so that we can we can do that. So if people want information, we do have a website. It's blackequitypgh.org. And if you have a specific question or, you know, request from the coalition, we do have an email. It's info at blackequitypgh.org. Wonderful. You know, the Black Equity Coalition is such a great example of the collaboration that can happen between these different organizations that are traditionally very siloed, so political leaders and community leaders and academia and healthcare. And so it's such a great example of really working at that intersection. And it's really important, it's really important that you understand that 
this is not just a Pittsburgh challenge. This is a challenge across our community and our world, quite frankly. And so you know, the Black Equity Coalition is a really good model that can be duplicated, in my opinion, and, and really used to, to leverage and promote better understanding, number one, but also action, number two. So it's just a really, really great example. I also want to mention to everybody, if you are interested in donating to the Black Equity Coalition, there's uh, an opportunity to do that through the Poise Foundation. Uh, we'll make sure that that website is included in our show notes, and you can select the Black Equity Coalition uh, to donate to, and that will certainly help them continue their efforts. So Dr. Gary Webb, thank you so much for joining us today on the Village Vision podcast. I'm super grateful that you shared your story, but also your experience and the work that you're doing with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed talking with you. And, you know, I'm always happy to be able to share what we do. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Village Vision podcast. I hope you found inspiration and valuable insights from our conversation today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and share. But thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Village Vision podcast on Word of Mom Radio. Take care, and let's keep shining a light on the power of community collaboration and care. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.